Welcome to the Emma Honey Podcast. Thank you for tuning in as always. So this episode, we're going to dive into a few different topics in regards to different hunting and fishing opportunities uh, for during the wintertime. Now again, uh, for here in Michigan and across most of the Midwest, you know, weather has been uh, quite unusual. And, uh, you know, especially if you're into winter sports, you know, this has definitely been a bit of a downer year. But there's still plenty of opportunities, plenty of things to do, and we're going to get into that on this episode. But before we do, as always, if you enjoy this episode, make sure you hit that like button, subscribe to the channel, share the show with your friends, and make sure you head on over to mihuntingpodcast.com to check out all the content available, as well as stop over at the shop, pick yourself up some logo wear and some of the custom uh, clothing that is available. And if you enjoy this podcast and want to be involved and support more directly, head on over to the join us button, become a member. Your membership supports this show directly, as well as grant you special access to exclusive members only content and discounts on all items sold within the store for the life of your membership. And with that, let's get into the topics at hand. So to start this episode out, I do want to highlight some of the key uh, events that are coming up uh, this month as well as in the next month. So the first one I've got on my radar is the Northwest Michigan NDA's uh, branch banquet. Uh, this is going to be held on February 24th at 4 p.m. to 10 p.m. at the Haggerty Center in Traverse City. A single ticket is $60. Couples ticket is $100. Youth 14 and under is 25, and all tickets include dinner and NDA basic membership. If you want to reserve a table, there's a table of eight, that's $1,000, and again, that's memberships for all tickets involved. Again, the NDA is, you know, the, you know, biggest uh, deer or uh, nonprofit. They do a ton of research, they do a ton of articles, and they have a lot of outreach programs. Again, this is just going to be another you know, a chance to support that group, have dinner, have a good time, and learn what's been going on with the organization. Next one I want to highlight is the Trekking Outdoors 2024 Banquet. This one is going to be held in March, so it's March 16th at 4 p.m. at the Eagle Park Event Center. Again, Trekking Outdoors, you know, they're a fan, they're a friend of the show, and they're a great group of guys, and they're doing a lot of great work in regards to you know, hunting for Michigan and kind of, you know, showcasing that uh, hunts across the country can be done, you know, pretty much by anyone, really. So they do they do a great job, a great production, and they're just uh, basically highlighting some things that they've done and, you know, basically working with some of their partners and sponsors to, you know, basically to provide a banquet for all of their viewers and supporters. So for that, uh, a single ticket is $75, a couple's ticket is $125, and if you still want to sponsor a table, that is again $1,000, it's eight tickets. Uh, I know that they are uh, running out of the sponsored table uh, slots, um, so if you are interested in attending that, again, better get your tickets in now uh, before they run out. Other March events are the White Hills Unlimited Deer Camp Tour. This is one that I've actually been uh, fortunate to be able to sponsor a table for. 
So I'll be in attendance with a group of uh, friends of mine and family. And that one, again, is held in Traverse City at the Hagerty Center on March 13th, starting at 5 p.m. And the ticket deadline for this event is February 28th, and they're $45 a ticket. And lastly, I want to highlight the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation banquets. Uh, they've got quite a few of them going on you know, across the state and across the country. Again, they do a significant amount of work, as you expect, on the elk front. You know, very important um, you know, game species um, within our state of Michigan as well as across the country. So again, supporting these guys by you know, buying a ticket to one of their banquets. And again, they highlight a lot of what's, what's been done over the course of the year and what things are up and coming that you may want to know about. So in all of these events, I am going to link their, or I'm going to add their links to the show description. So if you want to check out or uh, you know purchase a ticket to any of these events that I've highlighted, head down to the comment section, follow the link to uh, purchase a ticket for any for again for any of those events. All right, and I do want to highlight uh, next uh, a couple of the current seasons open here for Michigan. Again, it's small game season, so cottontail rabbit, snowshoe hare, squirrel, coyote, again, is year-round. And this is a good time for coyote hunting. And, of course, you got possum, porcupine weasel, skunk, ground squirrel, woodchuck, Russian boar, feral pigeon, and starlings, and the house sparrow. For fishing seasons, again, largemouth and smallmouth is catch and release. Muskie is still open through March 15th for possession season, Lake Greggs and Inland Waters and St. Mary's River, Northern Park, Northern Pike, possession season, the Lower Peninsula is still open until March 15th as well, Upper Peninsula, Great Lakes, Inland Waters, and St. Mary's River are open until March 15th, Salmon and Trout are open for the entire year, again, check the regulation on which streams and lakes in your area are open. And then, of course, you got channel catfish, flathead catfish, cisco, whitefish, round whitefish, smelt, sunfish, white bass, and yellow perch, and all other game fish species. And speaking of fishing, you know, this is going to be the nice big topic here is, you know, the fishing opportunities for this winter. Now, for ice fishing, we're kind of seeing the, the ice fishing blues here of basically the weather has not cooperated for any good ice for any adequate uh, ice fishing. Now, there are some lakes that do have some ice on them. I am still seeing some reports of uh, some you know individuals going out and braving the conditions and doing some ice fishing. But just from the, the warm temperatures and the rain that we receive, it just did a complete melt-off. We have this poor ice conditions across the state. I hear in the Upper Peninsula there are still some good ice locations, but uh, they're losing it fast. Ryan, who was on the the or on the podcast last week, uh, you know he was up there, up in Marquette visiting, and he noted that yeah, there's a lot of areas with open water. So again, there are still some reports of some good ice, but those are fleeting. Uh, it looks like we're pretty much going to be a kind of a bust for the rest of the season. You know, we certainly could always get, you know, a big, uh, you know, cool down. I mean, 
we can get winter storms, you know, into April even. And, uh, but sustainable temperatures and the, the weather that we really need for, you know, to create good solid ice again to kind of salvage the ice fishing season. It doesn't appear like we're going to be getting that anytime soon. So the big push or the big thing I've been focusing on is fishing on the open water, primarily river steelhead. You know, I grew up listening to my dad and some of his friends talk about the amount of steelhead fishing that they would do uh, during the course of the winter. And I've, you know, over the past few years, I've grown an interest in wanting to start doing that. I've never really river fished. I've always just kind of stuck to, you know, the lakes really. And you know, never really focused on steelhead or salmon or anything like that. So over the past couple of years, I've been growing interest in that type of fishing. So starting kind of basically last year, I went out a, a couple times just trying to kind of figure it out. Um, you know, I got, I got myself a rod and, you know, started, you know, watching YouTube videos and reading articles about different, you know, the, the gear needed and just kind of doing this kind of, you know, learning as I go type of deal of trying to figure out how to uh, fish the rivers. So this year, again, I've been diving into that more, especially seeing as how, you know, basically I've only been able to go out really once ice fishing and that was before we had the big warm up. So, you know, still wanting to have some fishing opportunities. I've been heading out to some of the local rivers and streams to, you know, try my hand at it. So really I've been focusing on, uh, you know, fishing with a float setup. So basically, you know, the bobber setup and, you know, going that route, you know, I, I know there's really two main, uh, ways to go about it during, uh, fishing the rivers. Really, you have the float system where you're using some form of bobber or float. The other one is drift fishing where you're not, you don't have any type of float or anything like that. And you're really just working the bottom. Uh, you know, I basically decided to go for the float system basically just kind of knowing that I'm, I don't have really the skill or the confidence to really be able to work the line, uh, without having that visual aid of the float and being able to, you know, really read the bottom just yet and be able to, um, really have the, the feel for being able to feel the bottom, um, with that type of fishing and with, you know, dealing with the currents and whatnot. So basically what I've been running is, um, you know, kind of your generic, uh, steelhead type fishing rod. I've tried, uh, kind of all the different, you know, different riggings or, you know, bait that you can use. I tried running a jig a little bit. I heard that was, you know, basically in my reading, I had learned that that was kind of the, the easiest, you know, type of, uh, you know, lure to use essentially, it's, you know, requires kind of the least amount of technique. And I kind of found that to be the case. You know, basically it floats right, or you know, you use that right underneath, you know, at the end of the line, it's, it's weighted jig to where it basically stays down below the float like it's supposed to. And you can really feel the bottom uh, when that jig, you know, encounters it. So you can really get a good judge of where the bottom is and where you need to set that float to put that jig within the strike zone. Other thing I did is try using the bead a little bit. Again, a little bit lighter weight than the, than the jig system. But again, the same kind of basic concept that bees is going to kind of float and bounce around on the bottom with the float running the rest of the way up. And then the last one that I've really been focusing on is uh, 
trying to run a, a small spawn bag. You know, basically that's you know kind of straightforward bait to use in regards to you know having some type of really like a live bait or a true bait uh, for those steelhead. To my understanding is that they're really going to you know key on on that spawn and those those eggs. Again, that's kind of reason why spawn and the beads really work this time of year. So I've hit a couple different rivers and streams and you know I've had you know basically no luck at it so far the first river I went to you know I basically you know did not have any um, had zero luck at all and you know that river is was actually shallow enough and clear enough where a lot of times you could just tell that there were no fish in those holes at least uh, a couple weeks ago when I went you know that was the case another river that I know that has been more prominent for steelhead fishing uh, there has been several other fishermen out on the lake or on the river, and I've seen uh, one have some success catching one or two fish. Uh, for the rest of us, it's been very hard going. Again, I don't know if it's necessarily that the fishing is really slow right now or if it's just my current you know, level of skill that I haven't been able to hook into any fish. I'm going to continue to keep going out and keep trying that. Uh, you know, basically just going out at least once a week to try my hand at kind of learn more to better technique and to hopefully be able to catch a, a fish or two. So again, with the, you know, the lack of ice fishing, if you still want to go out as a fishing and do some fishing, you know, this is a good avenue to, to try. Uh, if, especially if you haven't really done it before, or if you just want to get out and still try to get some fish, uh, to be able to, you know, cook up some fish over this winter. And then for hunting opportunities, you know, again, you know, as I covered for the open season still, you know, for here in Michigan is a lot of small game hunting as well as doing some predator hunting, primarily the coyote hunting. Uh, this is probably, you know, one of my favorite times to do any type of, or, you know, try doing coyote hunting. You know, of course you can hunt coyotes year round for the state. But I usually like to try to wait until I know that they're furred out. They have their winter fur coats. Um, so if I do end up harvesting a coyote, you know, it's something that I can have a nice clean pelt or a pretty pelt to be able to, you know, do something with. Either keep it for, you know, my own personal collection or to have it tanned out and do something in that regard with it. This time of year, up until, you know, late or early to late spring is a good time to go after those coyotes. You know, there are numerous predator across the landscape and you know again they put a big damper on or they put a big dent into the spring turkey and fawns you know basically they're going after a lot of those those hens when they're trying to nest that will be coming up here in another you know basically you know two two to three months now uh you know they're going to be very susceptible to any type of those predators and then of course you know, you know, four to five months out, we've got fawns that will be hitting the ground. And cows are very good at being able to, you know, scoop up those fawns uh, before they have a chance to, you know, make it throughout the summer. So it's never, never a bad idea to try to cut down on some of those predators. Um, that way, again, for the, for the turkeys who actually are having a pretty hard time uh, you know, in the state as well as across the country and have being able to maintain their numbers. You know, just giving them that little bit of, you know, extra help by cutting down on the, the predation 
And again, same thing for anyone who's a deer hunter. You, we are very protective of protecting our fawns uh, in the springtime. Yeah, we want to see as many of those fawns at least grow up and make it through their release for their first year. For me personally, I, you know, I haven't taken the time yet to go out, but it is something that I, I really need to do. You know, last time I was really down at the farm when we still had a little bit of snow left, there was definitely some significant uh, coyote sign that they were, you know, definitely on the landscape quite frequently, as well as it appears as though they were really kind of pushing the deer around uh, and, you know, really pressuring them. You know, a lot of times we were seeing a lot of, you know, deer tracks mixed in with some fresh coyote tracks. Uh, so it looks like those coyotes are moving those deer around, pushing them around and you know potentially trying to prey on them this time of year it's the coyote rut or their breeding season uh, so you know if you are going out and hunting them a lot of times is that a lot of the howls and you know other coyote vocal calls are gonna be more or you're gonna be more successful at utilizing those calls this time of year uh, than pretty much any other time of the year so over the next couple of weeks, I plan on going down to the farm at least two or three times and trying my hand down doing some evening and early morning hunts, just trying to hopefully pull a couple of coyotes off the property. Again, the springtime, that's when it's more key to be able to cut down on those numbers of those predators to help those turkey populations out and to help the, the fawns when they do start dropping. Again, basically the big setup is position your call to where an area where you think they'll come in, usually looking at kind of like the, uh, what I'm going to be looking at is basically kind of cornering myself in a corner of both the, the bottom field and the top field. Again, watching that wind direction, because more often than not, those cows are going to circle around downwind to confirm, you know, what they're hearing and try to get, you know, again, a better fix on what's out field, usually around where that call is. Nice thing too about doing coyote hunting is that a lot of times, you know, if you're out there for 20, 30 minutes, maybe 40 minutes and nothing comes in and you know, you're not getting a good response, you know, you can basically pack it up and try a different set somewhere else. You know, it's kind of one of those things where they, they're either going to come in if they're in the area or they're just not, so you're not going to be, you know, spending, you know, extended amount of time in a certain set. You know, basically, if they're not coming in that 20, 30 minute time frame, you can pack it up, find another place or try a different setup and basically just kind of move on from there. The other one that I've yet to go out this year for is doing small game or squirrel hunt. You know, squirrel hunt is enjoyable for me in regards that you can go out, spend time out in the outdoors. You know, you can harvest some meat, but it's kind of like a, a, like a bit of a low pressure type hunt. You know, you're not. You know, it seems like for deer hunting, put a lot more pressure on, you know, really planning out the location, the hunt, you know, the weather conditions, everything like that. A squirrel hunt, it just kind of seems to have just a little bit different mindset of just, you're just going out there. And if you find a few squirrels, you get a few shots at them. If you miss them, oh, well, you get another shot another time. Again, more of a less stressful, more enjoyable type of hunt where you're just kind of wandering out in the woods and just trying to you know, harvest some squirrels, really. You know, this year I plan on taking my daughter out. You know, my oldest daughter, again, is taking an interest in hunting. Uh, you know, again, 
super proud of her for harvesting her first deer, but she does want to be able to go out and you know do some more shooting, get some more target practice in. So I figured why not take her out squirrel hunting to get her some more trigger time and maybe even get her comfortable with taking shots in some you know awkward positions where you have some weird angles. So the plan will be to take her out with the old 22 mag and, you know, again, give her some shot opportunities and some squirrels. You know, she's definitely one that's in the mindset of, you know, whether you're hunting or fishing, like you are doing, you are going out and doing those activities um, in the pursuit of harvesting food. So she's definitely got the mindset of that, you know, field the fork type of mindset of, you know, we eat what we harvest type of deal. So again, a good introduction to hunting uh, for some younger generations. Another uh, way to put some wild game on the table. And one of my favorite things, which sometimes gets me kind of hung up a little bit, is you know you can go out and take advantage of doing some scouting while you're out hunting. Sometimes I get distracted and start focusing too much on the scouting aspect for, for whitetails again. Uh, but again, it gets you out in the woods and gets you going on some basically, you know, potentially some pre-scouting or scouting uh, for the next season. And speaking of winter scouting, I mean, that's, I mean, we've got the weather right now for, you know, that's going to be very enjoyable and I would say very productive uh, type or time frame for winter scouting. You know, with our lack of snow, it makes it very easy to be able to still see a lot of that fall sign uh, more clearly. Usually you end up having to wait until some a lot of that snow melts to be able to see some of those old scrapes, uh, follow some of those older trails. But again, with the lack of snowfall that we've had you know, within the state, you know, doing some scouting this time of year without that you know, snow accumulation, you can do go out and, you, again, you're going to be able to be able to move a little bit easier throughout the woods, not having to trudge through deep snow. And you're going to be able to see a lot of that early sign or a lot of that sign from fall how much sooner, as well as any, you know, sheds that may have dropped uh, over the past couple months are not buried in deep snow right now. So any fresh sheds are going to be laying right on top of the leaves or whatnot, be, making them much easier to find. Now, I did, was talking to a buddy of mine just a couple days ago, and he actually is still running cameras, and he showed me a couple of pictures of a buck that is still actually carrying his antlers. So a few bucks are still carrying their antlers, uh, probably for you know however much longer they'll do that for. Um, but again, if you're out there, you know the likelihood of being able to find some fresh sheds is pretty good. You know, having them not buried up by snow. The other thing I'm going to point out with this, you know, winter especially, is that we've yet to have, um, you know, sustainable weeks of you know hard winter. So just talking to my dad uh, just last night that a lot of the deer are going to be in really great shape uh, potentially for for the spring and carrying on through the rest of the rest of the summer and into the fall. You know, again, without having significant snowfall and those significant cold temperatures, you know, those deer are not having to burn through those fat reserves like they would if we had a harder winter. That's going to lead, you know, if, if you look at those numbers, it would be, it's pretty easy to look at and see that these deer are going to be, you know, carrying more weight through into springtime, which when they start, when we ha start having this spring green up, 
those deer are going to still be in really great shape, start putting weight back on much easier and not having to make up as much lost ground. The nice thing is for those bucks, you know, again, their antler develop is, development is secondary to their health. So if a buck's in bad shape coming out of winter, he's probably not going to develop as nice of antlers, you know, that following season because he had to put so much uh, nutrition towards, you know, putting a fat reserves back on, building up his weight again. But if he still has a little bit of fat left over from, you know, a not harsh winter, then he's going to be able to put more effort into, or, you know, more resources and nutrients into building up his antlers if he's already, you know, got some fat reserves, still got his body weight. So we were just talking about that the fact that, you know, there's a good likelihood that we're going to see some really big, uh, you know, antler bucks this year if this winter continues the way it has. So that's something that's to look forward to, I guess, with the the mild winter that we've had. And again, you know, with the lack of snowfall, it just makes it easier to get out there and be able to spend some time out in the woods. Again, not having the tread through heavy, deep snow, warmer temperatures. I mean, we've gotten quite a bit of sunshine the past couple weeks. So it's been very enjoyable going out and spending more time outside uh, doing those scouting trips. During the wintertime too, is a great time to start looking at doing uh, habitat work. So the thing I do primarily is, you know, especially again with the lack of snowfall, is taking a look at the condition of my food plot, which, you know, I've discussed before, you know, this year my food plots got hammered pretty heavily with browse. So again, but there's still, there is still some green out there, but it's very, very low, you know, kind of that lip level type deal. There are some still deer utilizing it, but not as much as, you know, if it was, you know, had been not, you know, browsed down as badly as it has. So take a look at your food plots. Is there still food available in those food plots? You know, if you had something like uh, any type of grain or, you know, any type of tubers or turnips or anything like that, you know, are there still, you know, adequate food source, uh, in those foods, in those food plots, or are you running the same issue as I am of, you know, overbrowse? Again, that's partially one thing I look at is making sure that you have something in that food plot that's going to be able to take off with that fresh, uh, green up in the springtime, you know, again, providing a good food source for those deer and other wildlife. As soon as that green up comes in, it's going to be a, again, a big draw and help those animals get, get back a lot of those fat reserves and nutrition that they need coming out of winter. Another thing is looking at your property in regards to, uh, any type of layout for potential next food pots for the, the following season or any type of timber harvest or, you know, bedding work or anything like that. So really that's kind of looking at kind of the intel that you've got again from hopefully scouting or uh you know physical ob observations in the field of where you need to lay out your tree stands you know where you like like to put in bedding areas where you like to do some any timber work which timber work this time of year again you know while most of the trees are still dormant even though we've still had some some warmer temperatures and you know some trees may may you know start try pushing some sap through Again, doing some timber work, you know, cutting down, um, you know, some undesirable trees to try to open up that canopy to try to allow some more sunlight into those, 
you know, wooded areas to allow for, you know, understory to grow in there, thicken up, add more woody brows, get more forbs in there. Again, a lot of it is kind of a twofold is try to thicken up the woods to try to create potential bedding areas as well as allow for more woody brows. And again, those forbs, you know, trying to, you know, make sure that, it, you know, you basically have a year round food source. So again, in my instance, where the food plot may not have, you know, you know, been able to sustain the brows and be an adequate food source during the winter by adding additional, you know, woody brows, giving those deer something to be able to, you know, sustain themselves throughout the winter months, even though it's not as desirable as maybe a nice fresh green food plot, gives them something to hang on to for those winter months. And then working on bedding areas. So whether that's doing hinge cutting, um, again, you know, dropping some mature trees to provide side cover, to start allowing for, a, you know, additional regeneration. You know, one of my favorite things to do is to drop, you know, some popple trees, you know, knowing that, you know, those larger, you know, kind of undesirable or, you know, low timber value trees, you can put them down, you can give them, you know, those tops will become good woody brows for deer during the winter time. Basically, they take the, you know, giving them the ends of those, you know, stems and branches to, uh, that have that, you know, more supple and nutrient dense branches. And then also when they start generating, you know, stump shoots or come, you know, shoots out of the root system, that's going to be more, a higher stem count, increasing woody brows, as well as thickening up the area, giving them more cover, hopefully be able to you know, hold more deer by giving them more cover and making them feel more secure on the property. You know, as a, a you know, basic kind of to wrap this up and to kind of close out on this episode a bit, you know, the general, you know, bad weather for when it comes to typical winter sports. So, you know, if you're one that likes to go ice fishing or skiing or snowmobiling or stuff like that, you know, it's been just a garbage year for that type of activity. But with that, you know, it does present some opportunities to try some new things and get out and do some activities that you normally wouldn't be doing or may not focus on. So for me, a lot of times I kind of get tunnel vision and, you know, focus on, you know, unusual, usual winter months, you know, it'd be ice fishing and it'd be ice fish, ice fish, ice fish, ice fish, and then maybe do all some scouting and, you know, you know, I probably wouldn't be fishing the rivers at all uh, if it hadn't been for, you know, the poor ice conditions. So that's something that, you know, again, get kind of stuck on doing the stuff that I, I kind of know and, you know, typically would enjoy. Again, not letting this, uh, you know, poor weather damper my spirits at all. Just looking at, you know, the conditions that we have available and trying to make the best of it and, you know, trying again, trying new things and just trying to stay out, out in the, or trying to get out there and staying out the, in the, in the outdoors, uh, as much as possible and, you know, and make the most out of it. So again, I guess the big, uh, you know, message for this episode is yes, it has been an unusual winter, but there are still plenty of things to do in the outdoors. Again, I highly encourage you to try something new, 
learn a new, you know, pick up a new skill, you know, increase your woodsmanship. So I guess with all that, we'll wrap this one up. So again, as always, get out there, be safe, and have fun. <laughs>